This is Crypto Sanity. All great movements are burst with the innocence of a baby, grow into the pure radiance of a child, and just when it appears that the world will finally be good and true, they fall into darkness. It is here where the soul-searching adolescent, with all the accompanying rage, confusion, and even obsession, emerges, and the final journey into adulthood begins. I'm Crypto Sanity with Captain Randall and this is Crypto Gold Rush. Captain, this is our third episode. On the first two, we have focused on the ideals of the crypto movement, from the anarcho-libertarianism of Bitcoin to the pluralistic and even transcendent longing that underpins much of Ethereum. I have to ask, as someone who just recently joined the cryptosphere, how much have you experienced any of this? Hi, Sanity. Great to be here again. Um, on, a, on, as you say, a, a third episode. And, and great to start with a nice, easy question, as always. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think um, how much have I experienced this? The, the first thing that leaps to mind for me on that is that the passing of time in the cryptoverse versus the passing of time in the real world is feels really warped uh, in the sense that, of course, there are scandals in the real world and, and things that occur and, um, and indeed learning curves but all of those happen at a different speed. So I'd say I've probably absorbed and experienced a lot more of some of those themes than, uh, than if it had been in another topic or another space. So can you go into a little bit of detail around, yeah, what, what has your journey been like in terms of jumping in? I assume not having any grounding in these fundamental ideals and then kind of seeing those unfold. Yes, sure. I, I think that the um, if, I, if I break down this space in terms of my experiences of it, then initially I was, I think I probably was a little bit FOMOing into what are all these articles in mainstream media about, you know, NFT bull runs and... Um, and 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 literally, a, f- a few people asked me about uh, as someone who they appreciated the investment advice of. Um, they'd say to me, you know, what do you think about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and Ethereum? And um, I would generally say, steer a- as far away from them as you possibly can. And and that was a lazy response, really. That 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 was more me thinking. And at the time, my portfolio was probably in commodities and oil and gas. Um, so, you know, the, the, there's a great argument to be said that it, it was weaker than it is now. And um, so so if I drill down specifically to kind of November, December time, the as because my entry point was NFTs, NFTs were are as much the Wild West in many ways as, as crypto and DeFi. So, so um, I got into, you know, even getting into the technology structures of some of them, i.e. Um, I, I minted a few NFTs on IMX and um, kind of didn't even know what an L2 was, didn't even know I was doing that, just like not paying gas. But but what I got into was a big learning about the way people interact anonymously via kind of PFP-based um, aesthetics and relationships and and then into the fact that everyone's warning each other about scams and being rugged and and it, and it probably was a really helpful prep for 
crypto and DeFi, which I saw as similar to traditional investments, but via the um, via some of the packaging of any investment in this space, which is often, you know, you land, you find some kind of internet-based media that points you in the direction of a project, or maybe um, CT Twitter, and you end up in a Discord somewhere and you try and kind of find the lay of the land. And maybe if you like the project, you start thinking, you know, how do I whitelist and get into this? So all of these things that within three months, to my point about the speed of this, feel pretty normal and established now. But literally three months ago, you know, I'd never used Discord in any way other than to speak to other people I was playing video games with. So, um, so yeah, I, I, if I look specifically at some of the DeFi stuff I later got into, in many ways, the, the patterns that I just described were evident again in DeFi, even though I, I'd first experienced them more in an NFT space. Um, so yes, very quickly, anonymity, for example, became pretty normal. Yeah, and I think that's something, you know, as with my background, as someone who has been tracking this space for a long time, but only started recently participating in it, mm-hmm. the that exact normalization of all of these behaviors and how people interact with each other, I... I had an understanding of, of why that existed, but just jumping in and just participating in it is like a fish in water, right? There is no, mm. there's no orientation around why are these the norms? Why do we interact in these ways? Why do people react to certain events that happen in ways that in the ordinary world would be insane but it's normalized in crypto and there are two events actually in the since our last recording that i really enjoyed i mean they're very dramatic (laughs) but (laughs) i really enjoyed how explicit people were in raising the principles that we talked about over the last two episodes when they were arguing with each other about what people should think about these two events. So I'd like, I would like to go into those two events briefly. Okay. And then that way we can kind of, it's, it's everyone took a step back and instead of just interacting according to the norms that were unspoken, people started explicitly saying the things that we've been talking about the last two episodes. So I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to focus on those things and show how these ideals aren't just abstract theoretical things, but are actually underlying all this. Okay, sounds great. Where do we go first? So the first one that I'd like to talk about is that there is an article that was quote-unquote, revealing the identities behind the Board Ape Yacht Club founders. The, the people have had started a company, you know, an actual corporation that they were doing everything under, and a reporter decided to paper trail it back to the actual 
incorporation documents, the actual official legal things, they discovered who these founders were, and then they did a quite light expose. There is no, <laughs> there is no uh, accusations of wrongdoing or fraud or anything like that. It was not investigative in that sense. It was really more investigative in the sense of who who has created this cultural phenomenon? Mm. Where do they come from? What are their social connections that have made this into such a giant thing? And the very act of having this article that docks the, yeah. uh, the founders, that itself set off a firestorm, a, a very a very temporary firestorm, I, sh- I might add, but still a, a, a firestorm uh, within the, the crypto community. And there were people that were explicitly saying in tweets, this is wrong because crypto is fundamentally built on the ideals of the cypherpunks in the 90s. And they were explicitly calling out the history that we went over in episode one of uh, the foundation for cryptocurrency as a, as a cultural force and saying we should protect anonymity because that is fundamental to crypto. If you remove anonymity on any level, then you no longer have crypto. That is what they were saying. It's fascinating because um, there are only so many interfaces in life that you go through where anonymity would be accepted uh, as anything other than uh, creepy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because um, there are certain things like privacy where, you know, um, you, you, you would probably... Hopefully, maybe if you're walking down a street and look through someone's window and saw them cooking dinner, you probably wouldn't stand and stare because there's a certain degree of it's, it's not acceptable to invade people's private spaces and things. But, but it's very difficult to take in real life examples of where you would interact with someone and, um, and anonymity would be encouraged at all. In, in fact, if you think of like, you know, you, you go in a fast food restaurant and you can see what the guy making your milkshake is called because he has it on a on his on his uh, tag on his name tag so so yeah j- just borrowing from a couple of examples of in real life compared to the starting point in crypto um and i know it's for different reasons but anonymity is is um not a welcomed concept in most areas of life right exactly and i think that's i think that you brought up a key distinction here between anonymity and privacy Mm. And for historical reasons, those two have been merged. They've been completely fused into the, the, the same concept for much of the, the crypto community. And so whenever you say anything about anonymity then people will immediately respond, that is an attack on my privacy. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, 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 do you think some of that is because of, um, you know, people like Facebook and the fact that by the time we all figured out what they were doing with our data and, and, and all of the data that makes us not anonymous, in fact, you know, is kind of unique, or but then compiled analytically to show trends in what we're doing and to influence us and, and, and kind of the concept of data influencing and, and data-based marketing and analytics, it, it was so villainized when we realized that many of the big tech companies were weaponizing it in the sense that um, they were using it for influencing political voting or um, or really invading your privacy for sure. And, you know, um, I find there was a story, I don't, I think it's become kind of urban legend. I don't know if it was ever true, but um, of an individual who would be surfing the net and then would get um, a something in the post, which was a discount for, um, nappies or for some kind of baby product and mm-hmm. and then to say you know this is crazy the way that people do these things how, how could they possibly have done that only for the same day his daughter to come in the room and say dad I've got some news I'm pregnant mm-hmm. and in this sense that you know the analytics was way ahead on some of the things that had been surfed and, and, and gone through so, so where I'm going is just to say I wonder if the reason that privacy has been brought into that argument is that we've had our privacy so invaded and so weaponized that um, anonymity seems like a way to stop that. Yes, I I do think that that is definitely a consideration here. But I would also like to expand it a bit. And the way that I'd like to expand it is that the, the philosophical foundation that underpins these communities, it's actually a very revolutionary force. Mm. So it comes from this, this idea that our current social structure is authoritarian, rules completely by force. Democracy is either a sham or uh, democracy itself is, is not a proper form of governance. And so the, the ideals that eventually led to the, the cryptosphere were that there is going to be a, a great battle between the, the freedom fighters that were about individual liberty, about this sort of autonomy, and these authoritarian structures, as well as the public at large. This was the, the, you know, Ayn Rand, for instance, this was her entire premise of all of her, her works. This was very influential into, into the original community. Then that started getting tied into sci-fi dystopian sort of things in the 80s that came out of largely out of the failures of governments in in the 70s, the, the 60s and the 70s, where that was really the first time since World War II where governments in the West were just really fucking up in general and, <laughs> and people were quite, um, you know, it, it experiencing all these issues. And so... 
this a lot of it is is actually coming from this militant sort of perspective of we we are fighting for for truth and eventually we are going to run into power structures on all levels and we need to protect who we are otherwise we will be uh targeted because once we can once we convince enough of the public that we're right then they will target us to silence us to silence us mm. well i mean there's pluses and minuses <laughs> like like most things this this big um i i can see the point of the purists on anonymity around the the um the fact that in some ways, uh, if you if you look at DeFi, for example, it can make banks pretty much redundant in a, in a trustless, you know, um, blockchain setting, and and I can see why. And and also the point I was just making, and we just discussed around misuse of personal data, I can see why all of those things make people say, you know, we never needed it in the first place. We we can all kind of own our own data, and we can choose to share whatever we choose to share. But I think there's also the counter to that, which says, um, or certainly the default position to the counter of that might be, well, anonymity is more associated with criminal enterprise and it makes it much easier to commit fraud or to hide transactions or to um, launder the gains of, of capital enterprise. So so I think it, um, as a concept, I, I I understand exactly why people might want that. But as with anything, good actors in that system use it perfectly normally and, and, and as intended, and bad actors in that system manipulate and use that to, to, to carry out the things that make them bad actors. Yes, exactly. The, the counter-arguments that come up when you mention this is this almost faith that... If it was wide, widely adopted, then the good actors would eventually market out, compete the bad actors, mm. and then that's always followed up with the, well, but the current system also harbors bad actors, and in many cases, is actively colluding with bad actors as long as they have access to power, which again, is true. <laughs> So it's really that they they would say, well, the the greater evil here is the authoritarian structure. Mm. And we will figure out how to, to clean up all of this other stuff on the side or buyer beware. It is your fault if you if you're scammed, right? So this this sort of belief system, this anti-authoritarianism is a direct line to why when somebody gets rugged, then they will often get very little sympathy and people will say, oh, D-Y-O-R, <laughs> it, is, it is all on you as the individual to, to make a call and... If it's the wrong one, or or you you trust the wrong person, then that's on you. And they have to default to that because 
there's no imagination right now around what does regulation look like that doesn't come from centralized entities. And they all know that they don't want centralized entities, but they don't they haven't yet figured out distributed regulation. And so it all falls down to the individual. They have to do that because otherwise it would undermine the entire conceit of the the utopian individualism that a lot of this is built on. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot to be said for DYOR in terms of encouraging people, you know, in, investors, and whether it's NFT, crypto, or DeFi, a lot of it is on the basis of investment and looking to make money. So, so you know, research is good. I, I don't think you'll ever say the, the more time and the more attention you've got to not miss an opportunity but prepare for it is good. But, but. If, if you're saying, look, I fundamentally accept anonymity, I've personally been involved in NFT projects that have turned out to be a rogue. And I, I, I think when it's the, the caveat emptor thing just doesn't quite cover it. Because first of all, if you have people coming from, uh, you know, a mass adoption mindset, if you have people coming with no experience, and, and the, the, the one notable rogue that I was part of, so many people afterwards in the Discord said, oh, it was my first NFT too. And I don't think those people were just uniformly um, stupid or, or, you know, um, or, or naive. I just think that these things, you know, because of the anonymity, and even at the beginning of the project, a lot of people would say, hey, you know, should I be worried about this, that these people are just uh, pictures of the PFP we're buying? Um, and a lot, like you said, there'd be a lot of reinforcement from communities say, hey, some of the most successful projects in crypto are from anonymous leaders and you know it's kind of central to, to the game it's part of the game so so i think if we I, I think you can't have the good without the bad if you want to create the um you want to remove the power and, and that's kind of a different argument but if you want to remove the power from um from from the bad use of anonymity in real life kind of colluding with um shadowy figures in the background and things happening and uh them being very questionable, um, then I think that you also create the conditions that make it really easy to um, to, to commit crimes and, and to trick people uh, all under the basis of this is how we do things around here. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that's a good segue into the the second story that I wanted to talk about, which is a scandal that happened around someone who is not anonymous and that is Brantley Milligan who was one of the uh, key people in the Ethereum name service a a a tweet came out around uh, his opinions on homosexuality transgenderism etc and his response to this was, well, I'm Catholic, so what do you expect? And that created quite a fervor <laughs> where mm. where a uh, there is there are organized movements 
to uh, to remove him from the DAO, from the, the Ethereum name service DAO, uh, as well as remove the the voting power that he had, people taking their tokens that they had delegated to him and delegated it to other people instead. And this movement was 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 largely as far as I could tell uh, undertaken by by queer people as leaders. And then this created a lot of back and forth around well, what does this mean that this person has these opinions and now they're being quote unquote canceled. And shortly after that, he, he was removed from the Dow and he was fired from his position. So what is interesting in this case is there was an intersection. He was using his real world identity as part of his engagement with the crypto community was not anonymous. And then opinions that he held were surfaced. Past opinions, I might note, this, the, the tweets were five years old. They were surfaced. He doubled down on his, on his opinions. And then it created this this firestorm and debate yeah. around should we even how much should our personal nature who we are even factor into how we interact with each other hmm complex this one complex interesting article but co complex in the sense and and, and I think that the last uh, question you framed is a really good entry point to the discussion um, because the answer is, as, as is often the answer, it depends. <laughs> and, and, and it depends on the, the um, core elements of the basis in which we are transacting. And what I mean by that is, go back to my earlier example, right? If I go buy a milkshake from um, a fast food joint and um, I, 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 I'm not really in any way interested in the views, political views, um, views on homosexuality, views on transgenderism that that individual has when they are making me the milkshake. I'm just interested in that they make me a milkshake and that they charge me the right amount, probably. So, so I think it's the basis of the interaction you have. And if in, um, so, so in NFT, it's, again, it's probably unlikely to play any part um, to give that person a platform for speech. When you start moving into crypto and DeFi and, um, and kind of blockchain technology as a space separate to that, that platforms are created, platforms that carry with them um, a responsibility and an accountability that um, if you are interacting with individuals beyond that really basic interaction that I described and there's more to you uh, as a as a character in that interaction. And then someone discovers that you have very, very strong views on something. Perhaps it could be argued then that it's, it's a more relevant evaluation of whether that person's the right person to be in that position. So, so my, my, my starting point for this discussion is just to say, 
For me, it, it, it's not a universal truth, but depends on what type of interaction we're talking about. Not whether it's okay to have those views, but whether it's okay to um, have an anonymous interaction with that individual. Right. I really like how you frame that because you put the emphasis on the transaction versus the emphasis on leadership. And what I would like to raise from that as it ties into the first two episodes is that as we talked about in the, in the very first episode, the basis of Bitcoin arising from this anarcho-libertarian ideal is that all social interactions should primarily be transactional. And so from this point of view, working through the market is the soul in, in general, the soul organizing force for society. And therefore, if you believe this, then all sorts of organization is equivalent to the milkshake analogy. Mm. And so on Twitter, there were quite a lot of people who were saying, why does it matter? The entire point of crypto is that we can interact trustless. We don't really have to like engage with each other as people in, in, in a functional way, you know, socially, whatever, but not in a functional way, not in a professional way. Because this is all just about building things so that we can do our anonymous, trustless transactions. So who cares? Yeah. So is that, so so, sorry, I just want just just a question on that specific story. Um, and maybe I'm maybe I'm missing this element of it. Did did that individual ever try and hide his true identity? No, I don't. I do not believe so. I believe that that uh, he he was always, you know, who he was. I'm who I am, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I think that's that's part of it, isn't it? That um, this is this is almost the cancel culture element. The kind of um, looking at uh, anything anyone's ever done and holding it to account holding them to account for it today. And, and this is a really strong example, so I'm trying to actually move away from that in my more um, abstract judgment or, or opinion. Um, but, but I feel like um, that's, also, that's also a factor here. So yes, yes, it's about the transaction, but it's also about if you're moving from one state to another, like coming back to the B B B A Y C uh, first first article example, in that you fully set out to be anonymous, and and that's the basis for your interactions with other people. And someone decides to break that and say, oh, actually, they're this person. And then everyone looks into this person and what this person's done. And so, so that's just just an observation I made when 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 you were speaking. There was um yes yes it's certainly for me about the transaction and what that involves, but it's also about whether they were always um, themselves and, and openly identifying themselves, always anonymous or changing state at some point, and that was the trigger of the controversy. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And there were people with the board Ape, Ape 
Yacht Club. Mm-hmm. Story, who were explicitly saying that, they were saying, well, you should have the, the choice to choose your identity, and that should be respected because that's part of a personal autonomy. But a point that I would like to to stress here as well is the other side of the argument, which is not crypto as just transactional marketplace, but instead, as we talked about last week, the crypto as community, crypto as the choice to form association with who you want on the terms that you want and how Ethereum was really, the vision behind Ethereum was that it was a platform that would allow for these subcultures basically to emerge and define membership and how they wanted to interact with each other and set their own rules. And that it wasn't just about transaction. It was about relationship. And so the people that were advocating for Brantley's removal, they were saying, we are living the ethos of deciding how we want to put our own vote, in this case, their Ethereum delegated vote, as well as their their vote, whether this individual should be representative of the DAO. They were saying, we, we are just expressing our will. This is a democratic system. And we are actually fully in the ethos of crypto because they have a different definition of crypto. Their definition is about <laughs> community. Their definition is about relationship. It is not about this arm's length transactional way of relating. So it was these two different paradigms, one that was really birthed, that is epitomized in Bitcoin, but has also gone into other aspects, is clashing with this other paradigm of saying, no, it's about association, making these these decisions in a democratic fashion. And so I would say that they were talking past each other, that they were both actually very well-rooted in different philosophies, and but they weren't, they weren't talking on that level. <laughs> they, they were talking, they, they were just talking from the, from the different fundamental viewpoints past each other. And so as an observer that really has, is, sensitive to these these underlying things that's what i was seeing when i um when i cast my mind back to specifically the, the vision of uh, ethereum as you, as you um as you shared with me in the last podcast um specifically the part about transactions to the point that you would um I don't know if this is the right term, but upload or um, or transcribe your will or program, that's probably the right term, program your will into kind of a smart contract ultimately and then just transact from that basis. And I went off on a big, uh, 
a big uh, detour about uh, about love and romance and about all the kind of more artistic elements of life that 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 it's really hard to even describe as transactions without underrepresenting them and and that comes back to to this discussion around anonymity in a way as well because that and this is why i framed it as you said around transactions there are m- many transactions that where the anonymity will be entirely um appropriate and will be make things a lot more efficient because they're trustless and, and blockchain can make things more efficient because they're trustless. And yet, if you overextend that to say, you know what, this is, this is actually the universal truth for everything. And therefore, everything should be, should be on the blockchain. It comes back to me saying, um, you know, what do we ha- do we then have anonymous relationships? <laughs> Whatever that might mean, you know. And, 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 um, and therefore, I think that this is, Blockchains have such incredible potential, and we're only just scratching the surface of of what they can do. Um, and, and some of the bleeding edge of that I read and learn about all the time of the things they're breaking into. But I think there are some areas of of, of holistic life where they just don't. They're almost solving for something where there isn't a problem, or the problems that that do exist won't be solved by that, in my opinion. Yeah. So I I I would like to say that you've. You've made a point here that I think really, really needs a little bit of framing, which is the, and you, and you actually see it in this exact event, which is throughout history from the very beginnings of computing and especially through the internet, the early stage of the internet, it has attracted people who do not who did not have the option to be public about who they were fully it has always attracted lots of queer people because it was the way for them to find other queer people to to build actual relationship with each other that they often would then channel this anonymous or pseudonymous digital profile into real world relationship because they couldn't be public about it. Mm. And so so to the, to these communities the digital space is their literal safe space. It was for a long time and still in many places in the world they're, they have, have physical danger to themselves if they're honest and public about who they are and where they live. And yes. even if it's not physical danger, it's, it's social danger, etc. And so, of course, these people are going to, to be very reactive when they when they're putting all all of themselves into building this this alternative reality where they where they can get some of the the basic human needs met in in this in this space and then it turns out that there there's people in that space in in positions of of authority who who view their existence as either like quote evil is a, is a word that Brantley used or mm. does not exist 
So that that is I I you know computing as a whole and and particularly internet culture is is fundamentally has been driven by really geeky guys that are completely disconnected from all social realities and also queer people and there's kind of those two mixtures where we're we're really being a, a lot of the 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 fundamental energetic soup that is has has led to the led to the current environment as well so yeah. uh yeah so i i would just i would just like to uh to presence that into the into the conversation this is not this is not a case of people that are just coming into you know they, they there is there is a lot of of people on twitter that were saying oh this is just another example of people that that are woke coming into this space and and making a big fuss it's like no they've actually been there and constructed this entire space from the very beginning with mm. this this explicit intention of of being able to to do something that that wasn't present in in the real world yeah yeah F- fascinating um f- framing and i think the, f- the first thing i want to say in response to that is uh, throughout the course of this podcast i mean we're only on the third episode but um my my general position is to try and stay as neutral as possible and to allow listeners to form their own opinions but th- this is a topic where i do have strong opinions in the sense that um i'm i'm a very inclusive individual i'm not i do a lot of work around that in my real life so so any kind of marginalization or um or racism or or work against um or, or words or, or judgment of disabled people or lgbtq plus or it, it's just not something i would ever endorse so with that being said i fully understand that people would want to create um a safe space to interact and maybe to in, to interact without the judgments and without the uh, the fear of repercussions and the fear of um marginalization and and that's and that's totally relatable and, and understandable but but i think where i'm going with that to link it to my previous point about what, what the black what the blockchain can and cannot replace or enhance as a relationship to me we should be societally creating safe spaces for people to interact for sure but we should be dealing with those problems at a societal level uh, and i you know i i understand how naive that might sound or how overly simplistic that might sound and how inherently complex it is in reality but i'd rather spend the time to do that than um necessarily at a societal level concoct a technological solution for something which is inherently not technological but I, I think even in that statement is part of what you're saying that the, there was um, some correlation between um, the uh, the people who were the, the architects of much of, of these spaces and the need for those spaces in their life to to feel like they could be safe. So, yeah, I, I think I really, really understand exactly the point. I think it's a really important point, but I feel like it's another example of where... Um, blockchain could or or these spaces could could let you hide and be someone else and there's nothing wrong with that unless the transaction dictates that there is and 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 just to make that you know less abstract 
this comes back to the discussion we had about someone like Sifu, where who is the you know was the C, was the CFO of Time Wonderland. So to come back to my criteria again, you know, what's the basis of the transaction? Well, I'm going to be managing and investing your money for you. Okay, and this is anonymous, right? So now we found out who you are. What's your background? Oh, well, financial fraud. And people who've invested their money with me, I've stolen it. You know, so it doesn't take a genius to work out that there's a conflict of interest. And, and that's not logical at all. So, so there are some areas where the anonymity just says, what on, you know, how on earth could it, we've got it so wrong? And other areas, if someone said to me, you know, um, I'm a gay man and, and I felt incredibly judged in my local town and I found this space and it just freed me, you know, and I could articulate with other people and I could be whoever I wanted to be and, and it almost gave me a, a place for expression, then I don't see any transaction that, that is a conflict of interest there. And I wish it didn't have to be like that, but I certainly wouldn't begrudge that individual the space to feel like that. Right. So this is in the intro... My, my dramatic intros that I know that you love. <laughs> this is what I was referring to when I said that all great movements are birthed with the innocence of a baby. I was talking about this, this ideological purity, this, these technical solutions. And when I, I use the word technical, I mean that in the expansive sense, not just code, not just hardware, but this idea that you can create some set of rules that would solve all the problems in the world. And so whether we are talking about Bitcoin or we're talking about Ethereum or we're talking about capitalism or communism, it doesn't matter. They all have some sort set of simple rules with the, the, the promise that if only anyone fo everyone followed these rules, then suddenly <laughs> there would be no suffering in the world. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the thing is that with, with all of these movements in anything, there is a real fundamental core of truth. And so as they start building these communities, as they start attracting the people that are most in line with that way of living. Then we get into what I was calling the radiance of a child phase where it's like, oh, this is so awesome. Everything's so easy and we all understand each other and look how well everything is working. And it seems like they have the answer. It seems like this is the time where finally things will become different. And that success, that growth, is what inevitably leads to the downfall. It's what inevitably leads to the point where there is enough real-world interest that people are coming into the space for reasons that aren't ideologically oriented or that there's enough power that exists now in these communities that any sort of ideological differences are magnified 
Because when you're just a, a small group of people that love hanging out with each other, these this difference between crypto is only transactional or crypto is about building community, it's it's easy for that to to overlook that. Because for everyone they're just they're just having fun hanging out with each other <laughs> and having <laughs> debates and things like that. Suddenly when you when you're worth trillions of dollars and you have immense political, social, economic power, well, now these are no longer just hypothetical, trivial debates. They really go into feeling like it's going to determine the fabric of society as all the mainstream people jump on. And so this is, this is the adolescent phase. And this is where we are right now. And that adolescent phase is just like real adolescence, just completely messy. <laughs> and what, what I like to touch on about here, not, not, I don't think we have as much time as, as uh, we, we planned for this part, but going into what you're saying about Sifu and just and getting rugged, and all these these other things that we've been talking about in this episode, all the dangers that exist in crypto, mm. I view that as an, an, an inevitable outcome of this naive idealism that existed in the in the first phases of this space, because when you combine anonymity, when you combine radical agency, when you combine code as law, these sort of, these sort of principles that they were trying to ex extend to all of reality, well, what does that do? Once you get the money, once you get the power, you are creating fertile ground for the hustlers, for the scammers, for the people that are completely desperate and will repeatedly <laughs> do, do crazy actions that then give, give these hustlers and scammers tons of, tons of money and attract more and more of them. Do you think that um, part of the problem with that is that they... The, the brilliance, the, and I, I mean that in the truest sense, the, the brilliance of the people that create systems that have this much application. If, 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 if they'd spent time overly worrying about bad actors in any system, they'd probably never create anything. You know, they'd, they'd never get it off the ground. If they were constantly trying to say, how could it be just entirely foolproof in its societal integration, if not in its technology, um, no idea would ever fly. And, and I think if you look at what, what, what comes to mind recently is um, I saw an interview with uh, Vitaly from um, the Ethereum creator. And to your point, he, he's, he's created something so amazing, you know, so, so fascinating um, that he's actually asked questions an awful lot about things that are not really anything to do with what he's created, but are more to do with the fact that he's become 
very wealthy and very powerful with a massive, a massive swathe of people. So, for example, he was on a podcast and someone said to him, um, how, if someone was born today, how long do you predict that they will live? And without missing a beat, he said, probably over 50% likelihood they'll see the year 3000. <laughs> and, you know, and, and is it doesn't even break like, a, like an expression to say that's an oddity that I've just said. And when they quiz, obviously the podcasters are all, wow, taken aback. Well, how would you say that? What, no, the, what comes out without just repeating his answer is the guy is just insanely logical or, or, or as sanely logical as you could possibly be, incredibly logical. And it's based on really, really in-depth research and knowledge and an amazing amount of data that he can keep in his head to punch the numbers and say, hey, it's based on this. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. And that's why I said there's a more than 50% chance, but there's probably less than 75% chance. And it's just, it's just a statistical observation. But my point is, you're asking someone who's brilliant at something to comment on something that they will comment on in their own terms, but really you're doing it because you know they're going to say something that you can spectacularize. When in fact, that individual is just saying, you know, inputs here and outputs here and, and, and is seen as um, such an intelligent person because in many senses acts as a computer or as a smart contract and takes their inputs and does their little bit of um, whatever they do in their brain and then, and then spits it out as an output. And therefore, you know, the rest of reality that don't have that capability say, oh my goodness, you know, here's this person. So I just think there's a lot of similarities with um, bad actors in, in, in technology in general, but certainly in, in, in blockchain and, and blockchain deployments in DeFi and crypto, because the systems were built for things that have never been possible before at a, at a speed and a bandwidth that have never been possible before and they weren't, and although they're highly secure, you know, incredibly secure, where we've seen them mainly compromised is in the human elements, not, not in the elements that you could ask any creator of a blockchain to truly answer for. Right. So I would like to focus on one, a critical part that you were just raising in that, mm -hmm. that has nothing even to do directly with crypto, which is which is the logic part. Yes. So the way that I see it, all of these, all ideologies are logical. Okay. They, they, they are all completely logical. If you read any ideology worth its salt, even, even read the fascist manifesto by, by Mussolini, mm -hmm. it is completely logical. It is seeing the world in some way, paying attention to some facets of the world, and then condensing those down into the core axioms, as you say in, in formal logic, the core fundamental truths that you believe to be true, and then deducing from those truths, generalizing. Sure. And so what these, what these ideologies do is they attract people 
who for whatever reason believe the axioms to be true. Now, the thing is, because something is logical does not mean that it is correct, or it does not say <laughs> how it is correct. So it is the messiness of reality itself. It is the evolution of reality itself that eventually undermines the axioms. Yes. And, and this is, this is the, the cosmic irony, is that when you, when you observe reality and you then act on reality, then you are changing reality, and then you undermine your original observation. Yes. So in these, in these ideological unfoldings going on, and what we're seeing in, in crypto right now is it's programmed with a certain bias of what reality is. And that bias is very reflective of a small percentage of the population who's interacting with it in, in the way that it's intended. But now that it's becoming more mainstream, now you're getting all sorts of other people that come in that have other intentions and actually do not have the same beliefs about underlying reality. To an example, there, there'll be a lot of Bitcoin people that are crowing, oh, well, we don't allow people to just program whatever they want. So we don't have to worry about a Sifu because we're totally trustless. But I was just reading a tweet today where someone was like, why, why are all these people buying Bitcoin on Coinbase or other centralized exchanges? It has nothing to do with Bitcoin. <laughs> They're just, you know, Bitcoin's all about, about securing it yourself and, and, and self custody. And so, now that they're sh they're cutting off people uh, in Canada from from their central exchanges, you know they're getting what they deserve. Whatever they're just in it for the money, and it's like yes, they are just in it for the money. <laughs> um, and if if people didn't think that they could just make money from Bitcoin, then probably Bitcoin would have never taken off. So <laughs> so you have this. This core group of people who are like, yay, we're succeeding in proving Bitcoin is the way. But it's only the way because of all because there's more people who are interested in using it as an asset, not as money. And so with all of these things, as you reach the mainstream, as you start mixing together all the different preferences, all the different ideologies, then how does the logic system hold how does it how does it compete with that and for somebody like vitali who is hyper logical like you were saying the they they can miss that mm. right mm. they can say yeah. well we are using game theory to to keep bad actors in this way 
and missed that game theory actually breaks down when you have things like collusion or things like that. Um, that mathematically it cannot hold. And eventually, as someone that is hyperlogical myself, when you expand enough data, you have to come into the fundamental acceptance that life can't be captured through data. Life can't be captured through basic rules. Life can't be captured through logic. And what do you do then? Well, that, that undermines the entire existential reality of, of, <laughs> of what is. So it's very hard for them to go down that path, right? So, yeah. so instead, they'll just keep crunching the data, keep updating, adding more rules, etc. And eventually, this very pure, ideological, simple thing is, as we're seeing now, having more and more rules, more and more things added on top of it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I, I think, I think um, uh, really nicely put, and, and I think the, the bit that makes so much obvious logic, logical sense to me is that um, as soon as you try, the, the more you get success and mass adoption with any idea, the more rigorously it's tested because of the diversity of humanity and and therefore you if you want to to kind of have a system that works for everyone but then everyone can be decentralized and almost kind of individual within the system you start to have conflicting priorities and you um it's kind of the almost the um the success is the downfall. And if it, had, if it didn't get so successful, it would have been perfectly efficient and logical for all of the good actors that operate within it. And, that, and that's why I think sometimes that, um, not just Vitaly, but anyone who's, who's hyperlogical or who, who, um, who designs a really, really uh, remarkably good system will, will find that there will always be loopholes from human behavior itself because there always have been in history. And the only way to stop that is to um, centralize and, and regulate and create governance structures, which undermine, you know, certainly they achieve the first thing of, okay, great, now people are a little bit more in line and following the rules. And the more you create those rules, the less decentralized, the, the less, um, you know, um, almost kind of power to the people in a way, that the less you, the less you push uh, push the power and the wealth from DeFi to the edges of the DeFi system, so I so I think it's a it'll be a constant battle, and uh, I I personally don't believe it's one that will be solved by um, code in any form. Well, what what is funny is the very core premise that people want to have radical individual responsibility mm. is is fundamentally untrue there's a, there's a very small percentage of people that that ever want to to have to worry about you know being a custodian of their own funds <laughs> that then if they make yes. one mistake they can lose their life savings <laughs> like there's not very many people that want want that responsibility right and so no. um so it's not even it, like yes like new priorities are like one thing 
But uh, another thing is even this idea of of radical autonomy is is so niche that any system built on that is 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 going to collapse when it when it reaches the mainstream. And so when people say, well, why are they using these centralized exchanges? It's like because the centralized exchanges remove all the hassle and complexity yeah. and and pressure that you that you get from having to maintain your own wallet with your own with your own keys, etc. And so convenience. Exactly. Like, yes, convenience. Um but also uh yeah, also also just like humility, right? <laughs> like they're saying mm. like I I don't know what I'm doing here. I trust the experts to like to do this on my behalf. <laughs> and so the I do think that we have an interesting challenge here. Um how do you as someone who does believe that the current structures are overly uh, not good in many ways. I do think there's an interesting challenge here. How do you handle things like regulation? How do you handle things like ease of use? How do you think handle things like backups? Uh, you know, all all the all the sort of things that that haven't been solved yet um, in new structures. And what do those structures look like? And and can there be a new way of doing it? That's why I'm involved in this space, because I do think that there's there's potential here to do things in in a new way, or at least in a way that's more distributive. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a fight. It's gonna be a fight with the with the OGs that are saying, well, we don't need to not only don't we need to, but we shouldn't design for any of those things because those things will inevitably lead to concentration of power and inevitably lead to failure points in individuals that we are already seeing. And so they they will say that the frauds that we are seeing are because people aren't living by the original ethos that they should have been. Uh, whereas we're saying, well, no, that you're seeing these frauds because the, there wasn't enough design originally. <laughs> and so then people have been doing things for, for to get more utility. And because there's no design, then they're just handing over everything to individuals. So, I, I really think that's the next phase. That's where we are right now. People know that now they're getting very wary about just handing things over to individuals. Mm. But the cat's already out of the bag. The cat's already out of the bag where there's there's too much utility that that can be done um, in in aggregating power. And that's what I'd like to to start exploring. Uh over the over the next episodes, actually, the entire like the entire rest of the series will be exploring that. Really, um, I think every week we'll we'll go into different aspects around that because that's yeah. the, that's the big 
the big question of, and the reason why Crypto Gold Rush exists is to map that out so people, so all, all of our individual listeners can can align themselves with that and see emerging trends and, and both personally benefit from it uh, financially, but also uh, choose how they participate and actually help help craft that. Yeah, and I just wanted to make one um, positive point, really, like kind of um, one, one thing we haven't spent tons of time, but maybe because it's just inherent in our experience, and that is this is a really fun, exciting space. And and maybe maybe one of the reasons that doesn't come across in our analysis all the time is that we are evaluating some of these technologies against their original concept, against their original design and structure. And, and it's perfectly okay, as history has shown countless times, you can invent something with a purpose. It can end up being really, really adopted and useful for that purpose, but also for things you never anticipated. And that's a huge success. You know, you still, you still added value and something that was very useful. And, and that's why I think t- to some degree that all of the onus on making a success out of a technology or an, even an idea cannot be on the originator. You can't keep going back. You know, I think many times in human existence, it's because they're normally not alive anymore. By the time something, <laughs> but in the speed of technology, you can literally go to, you know, someone who's invented it when they were 12 and is now 19 and say, hey, you know, it's not working as you intended. And I think there has to be an onus on the community, on all the people listening to this, on myself and sanity to say, what can we do with it? How can we make it better? Where can we apply it? And how can we create transactional experiences and solutions to life's problems or, um, or, or, or things that just not, maybe that's too grand, things that just make life more convenient or make investments more lucrative or, you know, make attendance more measurable in a POAP. <laughs> Whatever it might be, whether Vitaly envisaged it or, you know, and I'm only referring to Ether, but any of these blockchain creators and even some of the newer ones, I think the right time to um, evaluate them is is far in the future. And I think for now, we can either be part of the team that analyzes and criticizes and inherently becomes part of the problem, or we can become part of the solution in designing and building and, and um, coming up with, with ideas that wouldn't have been enabled without those inventions. Right, exactly. And I totally agree. The reason why I've been guiding us on this three-hour-long introduction to the actual point of our series <laughs> is because I do think that understanding the foundations, the social foundations, and how that leads to the technological decisions that were made are essential for for uh, practical contribution and creativity because what happens in so many other systems that and and movements that have arisen is that right at this moment when the mainstream starts getting sucked in their entire perception of what the thing is is very open to being influenced by a few people and so without having that real core like structure what you're doing is you're just doing what like all the herd is doing and what what human humanity has shown time and time again is that we're very good at recreating the same problems 
in new ways. <laughs> We're very good at saying, down with this system. <laughs> Long live the new system that has all of the same problems. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, yeah, so I, I thank you for, uh, for going on this adventure with me so far. And um, I really look forward to to getting to that point where we can start talking about uh, the the possibility, the future possibilities, and we're going to start bringing on other people and doing interviews and and doing all sorts of stuff. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun over the, uh, you know, however long, <laughs> however long Crypto Gold Rush ends up being. Um, and now we can, we can kind of have a shared vocabulary and understanding both with each other and with our listeners that we can touch on and be like, well, how does it, how does this thing relate to the cypherpunks version of anonymity, et cetera. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think it's yeah, going to be real this, cool. It sounds exciting for me that I can, um, I might not ask quite as many questions. I'm not sure I'm going to promise that actually, because I, I like the answers and I, I feel like in many ways I enjoy being a listener on my own podcast, <laughs> part of my own podcast. Um, but no, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I think that it's really important that we build this foundation. I personally have benefited and really enjoyed the learnings from these three foundational conversations. But um, as you said, we've got some really interesting ideas about what could happen in the future and who we could bring to speak to us and, and get into this. But um I hope this forms the right basis for that journey. Awesome. Would you like to uh, close Thanks everyone out? for listening. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just gonna, I'm not going to do the, um, I think it's getting a bit naff to keep mentioning our Twitter handles every time because I often post these podcasts on Twitter anyway so you can see who we are. But I don't, now that we've got a solid listener base, um, I'm going to stop sharing the analytics because it's so huge and instead just say thanks to everyone that, that, that listened again and um we really hope you'll you'll take the next step of our journey with us. But um, bye from me. <laughs> <laughs>